You're listening to Film School, broadcasting every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time at KUCI 88.9 FM, Irvine, California, and on the web at KUCI.org slash Film School. I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Kaspar. American director James Longley spent more than two years filming in Iraq to create Iraq in Fragments, his documentary of the war-torn country as seen through the eyes of Sunnis, Shiites, and Kurds. Winner of Best Director, Best Cinematography, and Best Editing Awards in the 2006 Sundance Film Festival Documentary Competition, the film was also awarded the Grand Jury Prize at the 2006 Full Frame Documentary Film Festival. James Longley, welcome to Film School. Hi. Hi, how are you today? Very well, thanks for having me. Oh, thanks for being on. Tell us, what, what was your inspiration for this film? Was there one point in time where you said, I have to go to Iraq to capture these moments? Well, it was 2002. I had just finished um, a film about the Gaza Strip, and you know, which is the first time I had gone to the Middle East. It was this uh, very dramatic introduction to the region. Um, and... You know, it was clear at that time, in the spring of 2002, that the United States, the Bush administration, intended to enter Iraq, overthrow the government, and, you know, establish an occupation there. So I really, you know, I could see it coming. A lot of people could see it coming. And I thought that this is going to be an important story for a long time, because once you start a process like that, uh, there's no easy end to it. It was... Uh... Just a beautifully shot film. Were you the only cameraman involved, or were there others involved in the shooting of it? Yeah, I, I shot everything in the film, uh, uh, with the exception, I think there's like one minute of footage that was shot by uh, one of the Medi Army people that I just right. I got from a, a video CD that was sold in the market, simply because, you know, they I had I had arrived about 20 minutes late to film the footage that that he had. Uh, of a particular battle, but right. I, you know the sound in that scene is my own recordings, and the the picture comes from uh, a different recording. Everything else I shot myself. It it has more than just a documentary look to it. It looks more as if it were a feature film. There's all different angles you see, and for the most part, you don't normally see that. A documentary style, at least the standard documentary style, is usually flat. You know, there's a, a framing that, that's uh, almost formal. Did you pick that up anywhere in particular? Well, I did go to film school for a while in uh, in Moscow, and, you know, I'm a big fan of the, the whole Eisenstein school of montage, and, mm-hmm. you know, the early documentaries of, um, you know, Berlin, Symphony of a City, or, you know, Man with a Movie Camera, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. You know, I, I really love that period, the, the silent film, where they're telling the whole story with images, and you don't really need any kind of narration. But in this film, of course, I have, I have everything. I have, there's voiceover narration of the, the people that I'm filming, there's, yeah. um, you know, there's my own musical accompaniment that I made, uh, you know, plus the images on top of everything. And and if you see it in a movie theater with surround sound, uh, you also have the uh, the audio environments of all the places. A lot of ambient recording was done by me there in the country. Uh, each location that I was filming, I would also record a lot of um, wild sound of, of the place. Mm-hmm. 
Well, let, let's uh, talk about the structure of the film. It's broken into three segments, and you tell the story of a young boy in uh, living in Baghdad who's being looked out after by his grandmother and a gentleman who runs a mechanical repair shop. His name was Mohammed, and how do you say his last name? Mohammed Haitham Majid Haitham. Is, his, is his name. Yeah, yeah. it's just a, a really remarkable kind of uh, how you, it becomes a very intimate portrait of this young boy and the, and in his surroundings. How did you come to, to know him? Well, I had been to that neighborhood before the war, actually. While Saddam was still in power in 2003 and 2002, I had gone to the country and explored around different places in Baghdad looking for locations and seeing whether I could start filming still while you know under that regime. It turned out not really to be possible to begin my film at that time, but I did come up with a lot of ideas for places in Baghdad that I wanted to film and that neighborhood was one of them. So after the war, I came back there and went from shop to shop. It's a neighborhood of small um, auto repair shops. And uh, so I, I came and I went from place to place in, in that neighborhood, interviewing different people, looking for interesting characters to film. And I came across uh, this kid and his boss, and it was this really interesting dynamic between them. He had this kind of uh, Dickensian yeah. thing going on. And... Plus, there was something about this ambivalent relationship to power that he had with his boss that I think kind of reflected something bigger that was going on in the society. So that was all important to me. And, you know, he had a kind of charisma about him. Everyone knew who he was. It was he was kind of like the mascot of the neighborhood. So I uh, decided to film him. There, there is a scene fairly early in the film where his inability to read is the subject of really withering ridicule on the part of of this of his boss how he deals with it and sort of as you say he sort of he becomes a voice uh, in the film you use him as a voiceover and it, it really it's a very moving you get to see people at the ground level was uh, it hard for you to uh, stay outside at yeah, those moments yeah. did you feel tempted <laughs> to rescue him or i know that's against the law as far as documentary filmmaking goes but on the other hand, you, uh, did you find yourself experiencing some pretty strong emotions when this was going on? Yeah, it was actually kind of funny. The first time, I wasn't expecting it. You know, the, the boss uh, kind of whacks the kid on the head with this uh, little rubber hose yeah. at one point. And, I, you know, I hadn't seen him doing that before. And when I was filming the scene... You know, and suddenly, you know, the boss comes over and kind of smacks the kid on the on the top of his head with his mm -hmm. little hose. I, I was shocked. I didn't know what to do. You know, I, I, I just kept on filming the scene, but I was very surprised, you know, that he was treating the kid like that. You know, and afterwards, the boss said, you know, James, I thought you were going to start crying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Oh, my <laughs> on my face, you know. <laughs> but, uh, you know, at the same time, uh, a lot of the, um, the, the kids in that, that particular neighborhood go through a similar kind of uh, upbringing when they're apprenticed to uh, a shop owner like that. And I, I guess, it, you know, in this country, in the 1950s, if you were going to Catholic school, you'd probably get the same kind of treatment from the mother superior or whatever. Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. if you stepped out of line, you'd probably get whacked with a ruler. And, you know, it's not so different from that. Now to, you know, our innocent eyes here in the United States, it, it seems appalling. But you know, in the past, in this country, other countries, that kind of treatment of kids was, I think, pretty normal. Well, I, I, the physical part, I mean, as, as shocking as that was, it was kind of the, the, the mental, the sort of the beatdown that, that this kid was getting from him. 
that was was a little difficult to watch. Well, yeah, yeah, no, exactly. Uh, well, yeah. And that that part, I mean, he just he, you know he kept ridiculing his inability to read and how he'd been in school and this that and that. And just it was hard to it's hard to see how this was going to make him a, a stronger individual. But uh, well, that that was the boss's idea, though. Yeah, I mean, yeah. he really did believe in this kind of tough love approach, yeah. and you have to uh, you know shame the kid into yeah, yeah. into learning and yeah. you know force him to. Uh, to, to learn to read. I mean, he really did want him to um, yeah. to get an education. So that was pretty much the norm there for for most children in their. No, uh, you know, the, it, I, I wouldn't. I don't want to have this uh, in this relationship between you know yeah. this this guy right. and and this kid as as the norm of uh, Iraqi behavior. I mean, yeah. you know, most parents aren't like that at all with their kids, yeah. but but some are. I mean, yeah. just like in this country, you have a huge diversity. Right, right. Well, it was, it was a very, as I said, an intimate portrait of this young boy's life. And then we, we're sort of thrown into the uh, the next situation with the, with the Shiites in Najrif and... Uh, Najaf. Najaf, I'm Nasiriya. sorry. Yeah. yeah. The, and just the power that these people, these, these clerics exert over the lives of the people in that town and extremely uh, hard to imagine them running counter to anything that was being said by these clerics in the, in that part of the world. There's such a big picture, and ultimately when you're making a 94-minute film and, and it's yeah. divided up into different parts and you only have 30 minutes to tell yeah. uh, this particular story, you know, I was telling the story of, of the Muqtada Sadr movement just because I wound up being able to have this kind of access, and it was something that nobody else really had, you know, that ability to film them that closely for that long. So I, I covered them, but I, again, I don't want yeah, to, I, I, I don't want to say with the film that this is, you know, the only thing that's going on yeah. in southern Iraq. If you look at a town like Nasiriya, where, you know, the alcohol raid that I filmed takes place, uh, where you have kind of the morality police in the form of uh, Muqtada Sadr's Mehdi Army guys uh, enforcing their version of Islamic law, you know, in, in the markets to prevent people from selling alcohol. But in the same city, you also have, you know, two different offices of the Communist Party. I mean, there's a lot of political diversity. It's not only, you know, religious extremists. Did you have any difficulty gaining access in, in any of this? Once you were inside, did you have any any difficulties? Were you ever stopped? It was always a diplomatic balancing act. Uh-huh. Uh, to film these guys. It took a long time to develop the right rapport, the right relationship inside the Sadr movement for me to be able to film who they were and what they were doing and what they were saying. I had the luxury of being able to film over a very long period of time. I filmed for two years in Iraq. Yes. And most people, if you're working for a CNN or Fox News or you know, God knows who, uh, you won't really have that kind of time scale to work in. But because I could spend a month just building up a relationship before I even began to really film material, uh, you know, I could do things that you know ordinary journalists really couldn't. So you did spend a month uh, before each of these uh, different segments, just getting to know the people that you were going to film. No, I, I began filming uh, the first and third segments almost immediately. Uh-huh. You know, and it took a couple of weeks maybe to to settle on the the subjects that I eventually settled on. But with the the Medi Army, it took a long time of going back, like uh, traveling down to Najaf, visiting them, talking with them, uh, and then coming back a week later and doing the same thing, you know, over and over again, and gradually gaining trust and building up this relationship that allowed me to have that access to film this material that you know you really probably won't see anywhere else. I, I know you you had said at one point um, you were surprised at the the access that you were given. Uh, you were filming their meetings and rallies and marches and the rest of it, which I'm sure uh, had to be uh, 
great for the film, but very surprised to you. Huh? Well, yeah, I, I guess I was thinking to myself, you know, if I were them, I wouldn't let me film. <laughs> um, you know, because I think that, you know, it's, it's hard to imagine things from other people's point of view sometimes. And things like when the, uh, the alcohol raid where people watch it and they say, wow, why did, you, why did they let you film that? And I think you have to go and, and imagine it uh, as they see it, which is, you know, they're not really doing anything bad. They're enforcing the law. They're cleaning up their city. And that's how they see it. They don't think they're doing something shameful or, or embarrassing. And, you know, once you understand that, and, you know, at the time when I was filming it, I would always act as if, you know, everything that was going on around me was completely normal. Like, mm-hmm. I, w- I would really try very high- hard not to appear kind of distressed or shocked by what was going on, and that allowed me to maintain this kind of uh, illusion of normality that, that they felt everything was normal. And I, as long as I kind of pretended that I felt everything was normal, then I could continue to film in this world, and they thought that I thought that everything was normal, so everything was fine. Yeah. What was the celebration or the event where the men were Flaying themselves. Well, that's that's Imam Ali Day, okay. uh, filmed I think in November of 2003, and uh, you know Imam Ali, Imam Hussein, uh, these are very central figures in Shiite Islam. It's a feeling, it's an expression of guilt uh, for allowing these religious leaders uh, to be killed. They were both killed, and so people are essentially saying, you know, why did we allow this to happen? You know, still now, you know, 1,400 years later. And so that's what this self-flagellation is about. It's, it's about uh, the same thing that, for example, in Christianity, where you have people now in you know, certain very conservative religious places will, will carry the cross down the road or you know, uh, this kind of right. uh, sym- sympathy for the martyr kind of uh, celebration. Were you the only uh, cameraman at that event? There were probably others, but I wasn't paying attention to them. I uh-huh. was paying attention to, you know, what I was doing. Thinking about moments, as you said, where you're, uh, you have to act like everything is normal, where, where things are completely out of your normal context. Yeah, but, you know, that kind of celebration uh, or commemoration is actually quite normal in, in Shiite Islam. It's right. something you'll see in, uh, you know, any, in Lebanon, in Iran. Those sorts of, of marches are, are commonplace. So, you know, I mean, in that case, I mean, uh, you know, and it's, and it's things that people are doing themselves, and it's a, a religious ceremony in a way. Right. And so, I mean, even for me, I did think it was far more normal because, you know, as long as you understand it within the context of the religion, you know, it is quite normal. And it's something that people are doing voluntarily and they're doing as an act of faith, whereas in the case of the alcohol raid where they're actually beating people and taking them prisoner, that kind of situation is a lot more difficult to keep Uh you cool, you know? Yes. Well, we're speaking with James Longley, and the film is Iraq in Fragments. Go ahead, Mike. No, I was just going to say, the third segment is about uh, Kurdistan and how the contrast between that part of the country and, and what is the rest of the country, which is in tremendous turmoil, but there is a sense of real independence in Kurdistan, and then and, and they want to protect what they have. Did you feel a lot different being in, in that part of, the, of Iraq? Absolutely. I mean, as things deteriorated in Baghdad and the south uh, to the point where I no longer felt I could work there safely from day to day, 
you know, I moved up to the northern part of the country where I'd been filming before and, and continued that chapter, and that's where I, I finished up the last nine months of my uh, mm-hmm. production period. You know, the Kurds have been, since the mid-'90s, essentially autonomous from Baghdad rule, and they've established themselves as their own state, as their own country in everything except, you know, the line on the map and the UN status. They already have their own ministerial system, they have their own parliament, they have their own educational system, they have their own military in the form of the Peshmerga militia, and they have a different security agreement with the United States occupation uh, at this point. You know, it really is as if you're in a different country. And it's far safer. I mean, I lived in a very, you know, a cheap hotel in Arabil with no security uh, for about nine months. And, you know, I mean, the room that opened my door would open any door in the building. You know, it was really like zero security. <laughs> I had tens of thousands of dollars worth of equipment sitting around in my room, and nothing was ever touched. Uh, you know, I never had any problems. I'd walk around by myself through the city at midnight every single night on the same route. I mean, if someone had wanted to kidnap me, they would have done it a thousand times. Yeah. Never uh, happened. James Longley, after having done something like this, and, ha- and as you can see the events unfolding since you've left the country, then the title of the film is Iraq in Fragments. Is there any chance or possibility that you see in the short term of Iraq coming together? Let's say the United States does begin to withdraw its troops. Do you see Iraq pulling itself back from the brink of a civil war? I do think that, on balance, the United States presence is a destabilizing force in the country, unfortunately. You know, it's sad but true. I think there's no easy answer. I think that no matter what happens, it's going to be uh, a long period of great difficulty for the country. Mm -hmm. I think that, you know, the Kurds have been out from under Baghdad rule now for so long, there's no way mm-hmm. they're going back. Uh, whether or not there'll, there'll be a formal state in Kurdistan, uh, the Kurdish areas of, nor- of northern Iraq, I don't know. I actually think it's probably not a terribly good idea to formalize it, simply because you know, you'd wind up with a situation of uh, ethnic cleansing of the million Kurds who live outside that area, for example. You'd wind up with all sorts of problems with Turkey and Iran and Syria, right. who are worried about their own Kurdish populations trying to join, you know, a newly independent state of Kurdistan. If that happened, you know, I don't know what will happen, but it's, I think it's a very delicate situation. I do think the Iraqis themselves, though, have to be the ones to determine uh, what kind of government they're going to have and to work out amongst themselves without undue foreign pressure uh, exactly how they want their country to be run now and in the future. Unfortunately, you know, with the U.S. there, we've managed to make ourselves so unpopular during the years that we've occupied the country that any government we support is not going to have the support of a large segment of the population divided along sectarian lines. I've heard and read over these last few years that the Iraq are one of the more nationalistic people and that they while they are a divided country in many ways along religious lines the Sunnis and the Shiites and the Kurds they have a strong sense of national identity what was your take on that it is traditionally true I mean it has been true in the past that uh, if you ask someone you know are you Shia are you Sunni an Iraqi they'll they'll say you know who cares? She uh, yeah. Sunni. I'm Iraqi in the first place, and yes, I mean, I'm, you know, whatever. Most of my family is Sunni, or most of my, most of my family is Shia. The Sunni and the Shia Arabs are are mixed quite a bit, and there has been a huge kind of secular nationalist tendency in Iraq over the 20th century. 
now, you know, that is being broken down. The longer we stay there and the longer things are allowed to to get out of hand, uh, this conflict between sects, uh, revenge killings back and forth between different families, between different parts of Baghdad and different cities, you know, the longer that happens, the more people are going to, you know, withdraw to uh, smaller areas of organization, you know, their, their mosque, their neighborhood, their, you know, their sect, what have you. I think it would be healthy for them to regain that prior sense of uh, Iraqi nationalism. I don't think the Kurds are going to, uh, you know, ever return to a sense yeah. of, you know, saying first we're Iraqis and then we're Kurds. I think at this point, you know, the ambition to have their independent state has really overridden right. Iraqi nationalism. Maybe there's a, a loose configuration of states here that we could come, to, that they could uh, agree to, but uh, yeah, I, I think you're right. I don't think they're going back. Well, I don't think a formal split of the country is, is a terribly good idea also. I mean, I don't yeah. want to sound like I'm advocating the no. breakup of Iraq, because I really don't. I, I think that if you were to formally split the country, right. uh, you know, particularly, I mean, Shia and Sunni, this idea of, uh, you know, a Shia state in the south or something, I think that is just the recipe for disaster. I think it's Yugoslavia writ large. Right, I mean, right. you know. With well, oil. <laughs> what, would, what would happen if, uh, you know, if, if you suddenly had a Shiite state in the south and you, and you declared a Sunni state in the center of Iraq? I mean, Baghdad is a Shia-majority city. Yeah. What's going to happen to all those uh, Shia in Baghdad? And we will find out, won't we? James Longley, the film is Iraq in Fragments. And yeah. congratulations, too, on the uh, Sundance Awards. It's, oh, thanks uh, so much. They're yeah. very well deserved. They, uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful yeah. film. Mention Best Director, Best Cinematography, and Best Editing of Sundance Film Festival. And and, uh, and, if, you, if you want to find out more about the film, you can go to IraqInFragments.com. That lists all the places it's showing in Los Angeles and around the country. James Longley, the director of Iraq in Fragments, thank you. Thank you. To learn more about Film School, listen to more interviews, or subscribe to our podcast, visit our website at KUCI.org slash film school.